taste for coffee I don't want your tea Welcome back to The Exchange, presented by Owen Specialty Coffee and hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. I'm Mike Ferguson. This is episode 7 and once again we're concluding a topic in two parts. Mark and Todd are finishing a conversation that began in episode 6 on cupping and quality assurance. Last episode we interrupted Mark just as he was about to go on an Inman-esque rant about one of his pet peeves. And that's where we join them now. So here they are, Mark and Todd that I, you know, personally feel don't belong on a, a normal evaluation form, uh, but are, are clearly used for marketing purposes. And to that, you're, you're talking about essentially descriptors that are Langu- aimed at, Yeah, language. At wooing yeah, I'm a, a big stickler. I'll, I'll give you my little rant here. Uh, <laughs> I, I was going to save this for later, but it's like the whole time you've been talking, I've been, it's been gnawing at me. Um, I'm going to... And, and this is, you know, this isn't the wine talking yet, but it, it might be a precursor <laughs> to that. Uh, we, meaning the industry, has created a clear set of language um, to communicate the attributes of coffee. And that's the SCA cupping wheel uh, that, that we've had for, I mean, there's an updated one now, but we've had it for a long time. Similar to the Davis wine wheel for those people who have heard of that before. But it's a list of, of um, uh, aromas and taste and, and defects and qualities within coffee. But it's a specific set of language that should be universal. So when you're traveling to El Salvador and you're cupping with people there, they're using that as a tool. And that tool should be used by you. And what I, I have seen in the past, which drove me up the wall and still drives me up the wall today, I'll give you an example of two cuppers. I'm not going to say who they are, but there's people I, I, that they're contemporaries of mine, aka fellow old people. But this was at a time when, <laughs> you know, all of the buyers were trying to really uh, up this whole uh, Indiana Jones image and or like uh, tortured artist image as a coffee buyer. And we were at a COE event, and. Um, there, you know, if you've ever been to a cup of excellence event, you, you go, you know, evaluate the coffees, you do your form, and then you meet in a room and you go through what you experienced and, and how you cupped. And you're in a room with cuppers from all over the United States, as well as the country that you're working in. So you have the national cuppers from, you know, whatever country you're cupping in, and usually a handful of foreign cuppers. So it could be Japanese cuppers and European cuppers. And the language is the form, that's the, or the wheel. That's what people are using. And during this era, which is probably one of the most nauseating eras in coffee, uh, I had one cupper who would say, yeah, it, it was, he was on this whole like Jim Morrison kick where it was, yeah, this coffee tastes like, um, like a 78 uh, Firebird, you know, with the worn-out vinyl seats and... Um, <laughs> No, that you know, can't just be true. Have, and and <laughs> you see the national cuppers like, wait a minute, what what what's he saying? And and they're trying to, you know, ask the question like, what do you mean by vinyl seats? Like, is that the, like the taste of like petroleum or, no 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 no, you know, like the worn out seats with a little character, but 
you know, but they just, you know, they're, they just have a little bit of soul in them. And, and then we'd get to another coffee and it would be this one. He was on this whole auto kick. This one is a, like a 71 Capri, uh, you know, just bad engine and just leaks oil and, you know, not up to par. And you could just see the, the cuppers from, you know, not only the, the country, but from other countries like, uh, you know, Europe and Japan just throwing up their arms. Like, what in the hell is this person talking about? <laughs> and the whole goal was, I'm more of, I have more of a, of a palate than you do. And I'm tasting from an abstract artistic perspective you know, where you're, you know, you're dealing with these pedestrian comments and it was, it came off as annoying. And the other, the other thing that uh, annoyed me, uh, or, or, uh, got me was, um, this, this coffee has this distinct note of this peach that was grown on my grandmother's farm on this area in South Carolina. And it's like, yeah, we could all relate to that. That's a great universal note that we should all write down because we've all been to your grandmother's farm and have tasted that peach. Luckily, I mean, I believe that time has passed and we're not doing that anymore. But my strong feeling is when you're cupping in the, for evaluation purposes, for buying purposes, for competition purposes, stick to the wheel because it's the language that we should all relate to. Now, when you go back and you roast for the public, I mean, go nuts because then you're setting the tone for what your coffee's talking about, and it, it doesn't have to follow any rules and can get as esoteric and avant-garde as, as are those two examples I gave because that's entertaining to customers and is endearing and, and will uh, feed that mystique of this buyer is, you know, really, he's an artist and he's, you know, uh, cutting through the jungle and, you know, discovering the hidden gems of the world, you know, you feed that whole fantasy. But in an industry setting or a professional setting, you're not doing a service to anybody by using those descriptors because they're not relatable. Yeah, no, there, there's a time and a place for point of view when you get into actually creating your why and messaging outwards to, you know, your consumer. Um, right. You know, you can easily... Yeah, you describe every every coffee that you're selling as a certain car with a certain interior and a certain yeah. you know lingering smell or you know a certain vibe or uh, music. Well, and if you know, like through. for that example, if you're selling to auto heads, I mean, I, I saw this really <laughs> cool packaging recently. It looks like um, a paint thinner can, and it has uh, each label was a, a car it was a you know Le Mans car or a stock car somebody posted it on social media and yeah if you want to go nuts with car themes and you're speaking to car people have at it man I mean that's really cool but when you're in Peru and you're having a person a farmer or a QC person at a mill trying to understand the language to be on the same page with you to sell you coffee or to get feedback that's not helping anyone to do that. Sure, sure. I, I love, yeah. I, I'm sorry to riff on the, the whole like, you know, auto uh, yeah. marketing thing. But, you know, those like that that can style that's like carburetor cleaner or something. It's almost like a tapered right. can. That could be cool. Yeah, I yeah. haven't seen anything like that. But for sure, someone's got to yeah. got to take that gem and, and make something out of it. But the bottom line here, just to, to land the plane is those marketing cuppings should be their own thing. It's almost like its yes. own 
uh, isolated variable saying, okay, how are we going to sell this coffee is the question instead of, are we going to sell this coffee or are we going to buy this coffee or is this coffee tasting how it should? Right. Right. Um, Right. And, and I think that's entirely appropriate, you know, but regardless of where anybody, you know, comes down on the question of like, well, do, uh, you know, really poetic or esoteric descriptors, are they helping or hurting when it comes to marketing? I think that there's a lot Mm -hmm. of justification for saying one and or the other. You know, companies that market on, you know, the color of a particular package for a product, there's companies that market on a description and uh, there's room for both. You know, maybe you cup those Fridays to determine what color goes with it. Maybe you cup to determine how you describe it and sell it. Maybe you do both. But either way, it shouldn't be something that's intermixed with like your purchasing decisions or, you know. Oh, no, definitely um, not. And I think you do need to be careful, though about um being too crazy with your language on your packaging because if it's not relatable if it's something that the end consumer is saying i'm not getting those qualities at all then they're going to feel like well i'm wasting my money because this i'm not picking up the attributes that i'm supposed to be picking up and i'm spending a premium so maybe i'm better off buying a cheaper coffee because you know i can taste those attributes it's simpler yeah and so you have to have a couple of those notes where someone's like, "Aha! Uh-huh, I actually do taste that. That's that. Yeah, I got it." And then that marketing's working beautifully. Sure, um, sure. But if you go too nuts, I mean, I've seen some packages that are outright ludicrous, and not everybody is a registered silver palette out there. And um, so I, I would say be be relatable as possible. Yeah. No, more people are yeah. going to feel confident and have a good experience when they say wow this is coffee i taste coffee than when they read right. you know you know lavender and uh, elderflower and and they're like right. oh i taste coffee you know the only thing better than a great description is when that great description matches the cup because that's what's sure. going to really endear someone you know in the northeast we still i mean we still see a lot of consumers when they see this type of description on a package we still see people uh, you know, curious if there's some adulterant in it, some flavoring. So, I, I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. No, you know, that still th- happens out here, too. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's when crazy. When you say chocolatey, they're like, what, is this like, does this have chocolate flavoring in it? No, no, no. That's not... And if you're hearing that a lot, then it's time to eliminate that off your package. Yeah, for sure. It's a fun digression we're making, but let's uh, let's get back to... Yeah. Uh, quality assurance, quality control. This is, you know, the marketing uh, thing is not a small piece of it. I mean, it's a huge piece, uh, you know, being that it's the prevailing message that goes out for any company, uh, at least it better be going out to the the majority of people who they engage with. Um, But beyond that, getting back to the lab and as companies grow, um, you know, one huge aspect of quality that we have not, you know, touched on, in the slightest thus far is, you know, physical analysis, which, you know, when you're starting as a young company, you know, really bootstrapping it, a lot of this equipment can be price prohibitive. The, the sense of importance to a lot of, you know, young upstart companies to spend the money to really outfit a a green coffee lab with these tools. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, the, the, the sense of importance isn't there yet. 
Um, but as they level up, um, you know, there's a lot of physical aspects that are monitored by, you know, larger, more complex companies. You know, there's good reason there. I guess, you know, what is your recommendation and what what do you recommend as a as a way to start with this? What are your biggest mm-hmm. uh, recommendations against certain approaches, you know, potentially negative that that physical specs uh, can, yeah. can run into. And then, you know, how would you suggest, you know, to what level for a small to mid-sized roaster would you suggest, you know, really investing in this side of your quality assurance program? Sure. Well, I'll start from the, the best to the, uh, more superfluous and we'll take it in that direction. I think the first and foremost is a, uh, a sorting mat, a black mat or a black piece of paper and a defect book. I I don't think enough buyers or QC people actually physically grade coffee as much as they should. Um, That to me is one of the most powerful tools in negotiating price because um, maybe the the grade is not what you uh, have been told it is or you think it is and you can negotiate price down or spot you know massive problems with a lot of coffee. That is a very simple investment of a defect handbook and uh, a, a large black mat and physically going through the samples and pulling out defects one by one. Yeah, you're talking not even $50 USD. No, I mean, nothing. Not I mean, but, but you should be doing it, especially if you're buying in quantity because, again, this is the largest expenditure you're going to be in charge of in your company and you want to make sure you're actually buying what you're being told is available. And... Or, you know, if you are noticing that certain origins, uh, you know, their defect count is much higher uh, and you don't really like that, maybe it's an origin you don't need in your lineup. Um, uh, There's a tradition of, well, these are, you know, kind of funky by nature and and that's just how it is. And that doesn't mean you have to necessarily uh, play in that arena if you don't want to. I think the second tool that is important is a moisture meter, although I don't think it's crucial initially uh, i think it does help especially from the um, if you're buying an origin so you're getting a pre-ship sample and then you're getting a landed sample that the coffee is not nose diving in moisture or doesn't come in with extremely high moisture uh, where mold uh, can be an issue i don't think that that's something right away is necessary if you have it it's great it's great to have it's a wonderful tool most importers will measure that for you. Uh, there's no vested interest in them not to be perfectly upfront with the moisture content. It's not a huge expense. You're talking about $400, I think, for a, a decent uh, moisture meter. That'll work. Uh, color analyzers, um, there's a handful of brands out there. I, you know, I think those are great if you're roasting in very, very large volumes for very, very large clients that need you to hit a certain spec, a roast color spec over and over and over again. And your profitability is based on not losing uh, extra moisture uh, that you don't need to lose. It's an extremely expensive uh, investment. I don't necessarily think it's um, a worthwhile one for most of the people listening to this podcast. I've never seen a need for it as a roaster, but I've never really worked for a massive roasting company. So I, I, I don't know. I've never had one. Um, you can get by with color tiles and things like that. Uh, other than that, you know, you're talking again, 
roaster, your grinder, your spoons, your cups, you know, your your forms. Uh, I don't know any other uh, hardware that uh, that I would think are necessary. Todd, do you have ones that you're thinking about specifically? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think a couple of tools for a roaster that really, from a quality standpoint, you know, can take you you know, leaps and bounds further. I mean, one very basic is uh, just having a, you know, a 500 ml graduated cylinder and scale where you can, you know, be monitoring the density of the coffees you're being offered, you're picking up and that you're roasting. Mm. Uh, because, right, you right. know, this is just like batch size control is going to be one of the, the largest sort of prevailing aspects uh, as to how you might approach a coffee in the roaster. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so you're talking, you know, even less money, really, um, you know, you probably already, if you're cupping, you already have the, uh, you know, the, the good scale, um, you know, that goes to a 10th or a hundredth of a gram, you know, you, to get a, a plastic graduated cylinder on amazon.com yeah. is almost nothing. I mean, you're talking about less than what it would cost you to get a grading book and, and a, and a black sheet or a black mat or, you know, whatever works. Sure. Um, and, and this is going to be the type of thing for me that, you know, is going to be uh, a guiding light, you know, when it comes to setting an expectation for, you know, profiling a coffee before you even drop a batch. Um, you know, other than that, you know, I think that in my opinion, we're seeing uh, profiling software a la Cropster and others, um, you know, uh, yeah. as uh, a way that, you know, some of the Finnish roasted, um, you know, uh, tools like a color meter, you know, Agtron, Javalytics, you know, we're seeing right. control of process more integrated and, and more uh, sort of uh, attentively f- followed. And I think that that's, it's not only a substitution for something binary like color, is it in this range or out, um, you know, mm-hmm. but it's also something that, you can with you know analyzing finished colors you can hit a variety of profiles at the same finished color uh, whether whole bean or and or ground um, for a given coffee and so you know that doesn't necessarily answer the question when we when we're in specialty with finish quality as really like the prevailing value proposition that justifies um, you know, the, the added premium that we're asking for and we're ultimately delivering upstream. So I think that, uh, that those do, you know, kind of prevail in my mind as the, the right first step. If, if you have a, a large industrial roaster and, you know, I mean, you'll see this in, you know, large, uh, industrial commercialized roasting companies where they might have, you know, Agtron color meters at, you know, three or four different specific points in their, in their process, you know, where, uh, a coffee's pulled from the silo immediately post roast. It's measured on, you know, uh, once it's, uh, ground, it's pulled, you know, before it's packaged and then it's pulled, you know, both leaving the warehouse and maybe even pulled and third party is auditing the finished roasted color, from a, a distribute, you know, distributor's warehouse. So, you know, I mean, you yeah. see this can be really complex, you know, moisture would be another part of that, but, but I do think for, you know, small to mid-sized specialty roasters, you know, process control can really remove the need for some of that, you know, really cost prohibitive hardware, um, while also increasing the capacity to control, you know, the sensory aspects of the coffee, which ultimately, 
um, matter to the the space that 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 they're sitting in much much more. Um, yeah, you know, the yeah. the the only thing otherwise, which it's not a tool by any stretch, but it's certainly a philosophy that when it comes to uh, you know physical quality, you know needs to be applied. Is that y- you just have to you have to be reasonable when you're creating specifications. It's fine and good, and and I don't know if you've run into this, but I've definitely had customers come to me and say, well, I need a coffee that cups 85 plus, but it needs right. to be, you know, 11.1 to 11.3 moisture. It has to be, you know, this color, this defect inventory, you know, this particular density. Uh, another that, we, you know, we haven't touched on, we can get into is water activity, um, which is, you know, the measure of respiration or free humidity mm-hmm. also related to shelf stability and the longevity of a freshness of a coffee as well as you know the the stability and shipment but ultimately you can lay those out but you know at a point someone in my position is going to say well i can't sell you that a because maybe i don't physically have it but b because origin won't deliver those specs you know you can't guarantee that they can yeah exactly i mean you know maybe there's a price at which they could uh, but, you know, more often than not, you're talking about, you know, something that's unrealistic that most sellers are going to, to scoff at and say that's that's really not a possibility, even when coffee is cared for at the very upper, upper reaches. Um, and so, you know, have that type of sober approach where, you know, you know what matters uh, when you monitor the physicals around your green and your finished roasted coffee and create uh, a, a, a spec for both if if you're uh, outfitted to do so that is realistic and that does actually have its limits at places that are you know quote-unquote actionable where cool if a coffee falls out of this moisture I don't want it because it's not going to be workable or um, you know similar that kind of thing yeah um, I don't know. I, have you done much uh, with water activity? I know, you know, there's a lot of open areas of study. I, I know a lot of folks also looking at uh, and monitoring, you know, coffees mm-hmm. under black light for uh, inconsistency and, and taking really yeah. detailed physical notes there. Um, but obviously, there's still a lot to be learned. I mean, these are metrics that have only really uh, started to be looked at in recent years and, and the, the amount of data... Uh, is still mounting. Curiously, yeah, I, I have customers who've tested the water activity. I, that was a little bit after my time as a roaster, um, so I, I wasn't really involved in measuring that, um, but do have clients today that do that. For sure. Um, well, getting into, I mean, we kind of got into calibration with the industry in, mm-hmm. you know, your extreme frustration with you know the the (laughs) over marketing of coffee during professional cuppings you know when we should be scoring calibrating and working in a more collaborative way uh you know with our industry peers but but i guess you know a a good sort of closing segment um uh, you know maybe maybe segment is a an understatement on you know how long we could we could riff on this but but you know the way to kind of bring things you know to a close you know we're talking about cupping we're talking about you know physical qa process around creating a meaningful you know marketing strategy around describing coffee all of these things are a part of how we cup coffee and and you know the 
the sort of respiration of any given roasting company's uh, QA, QC process. But, you know, let's say you're a relatively young, you know, roaster in the scene. You are excited to be cupping coffees. You've built a space that's comfortable. It encourages you to get in there. You're cupping regularly. But, you know, you're part of a small team. You're looking for ways to build yourself up to agree more and or calibrate with, you know, the industry around you that you're a part of. What are the best ways that you and your experience have done so, ways that you constantly find yourselves encouraging new folks to the to the coffee business uh, to get involved, um, and, you know, anecdotal stories or, uh, you know, things you've learned over time as to, you know, how to approach that, that idea of appraising coffees accurately, calibrating with your peers. Take it away. <laughs> well, I think, you know, attending as many, like, Roasters Guild retreats, uh, if you can get in a COE jury, that's important. If you could judge uh, a good food awards event, all of those, you know, any exposure to your peer group in cupping is a good thing. I know that for many, it's intimidating, but don't let that stuff get in your head. This is about cupping with your peers, evaluating coffees together, understanding how other people use language to describe coffees, things that they're picking up that you may not be picking up. Uh, that was always a huge learning lesson for me, things that people were finding or issues that they were having. You know, like I, I uh, learned a long time ago, uh, of I would cup the coffees on the first round, maybe go around a second round, but there were people that were going three, four times around the table, and they were reporting you know, how that coffee changes as it cools and, and what they were experiencing. And that open my eyes to, I need to be a little bit more patient on the table. I need to spend more time going through that coffee, not just blasting through it, getting my initial impressions and thinking that that's all that matters, that this coffee is dynamic and it's changing as it cools. And as a, a seller, am I selling, you know, coffee through a drive-through where the client is in the car and drinking that coffee over their commute where the coffee is going to get cool? Or am I uh, just doing an espresso bar where people pop up and do a shot and walk away? And it doesn't matter what that coffee tastes like as it cools. Uh, those are the things that I think are important to learn about. I think doing things like the Q grading course is important professionally and just personally to, to stretch uh, your knowledge about cupping and cupping protocol and how to evaluate coffees in, in different formats. I, I don't think that there's anything that is a bad idea. I think where things become problematic is when you get your ego involved and you're trying to sell yourself as somebody with you know superhuman powers at the cupping table. Everybody can taste. It, it's like a muscle. If, if you want to run a marathon or if you want to you know be good at CrossFit, the way to do it is just to do it a lot. That's the only secret. Nobody has some, you know, magic secret talent. So don't get sucked in by that. And it's just practice, practice, practice. If you find peers in the coffee industry that are friends of yours and they're not necessarily competitors, you know, having a weekly Skype cupping session where you guys send each other coffees and you cup them and then you get together and talk about them. I think all that stuff is very positive and, and the more you can do it, or how do you market it once you've got it? You know, once you've evaluated the coffee for purchasing, what's the successful language for selling that coffee? I, I think that's where you get to have a little more fun and, have a, and be a little more loose 
uh, but there's certainly language that works and language that that doesn't work in, in that marketing spectrum. You know, one thing I uh, loved that that we did when I was uh, you know working in the, in the roasting sphere um, years ago is you know we'd always bring in coffees from other roasters. You know, people that might have had the same lots to see what they would do with them. Coffee from other roasters we respected that we knew. Uh, we're putting out good product coffee that we were curious based on how someone was describing and marketing a coffee. Uh, right. You know, that's 71 Capri with vinyl seats. <laughs> you know, what does that mean? Okay, let's taste it. Let's see. You know, e- even beyond that, just the opportunity to sit as a sensory judge for barista competitions or Brewers Cup, um, you know, is also a fantastic way to come up, become calibrated, and get to taste and sort of classify a bunch of uh, really progressive coffees, um, you know, made by these companies, uh, you know, best people in a, in a really competitive environment, you know, to, to sort of expand, uh, you know, the number of sensory data points that you can pull from. I mean, all that stuff is, is really, really invaluable. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, to kind of uh, put a wrap on it, what did we miss, Mark? I mean, do you feel like we've left this incomplete in any way? Well, I mean, just briefly, I always had a hard time with the concept of of production cupping in the sense of a cupping, you know, coffee that you've roasted for production in a traditional cupping bowl and spoon and all that, especially when you get into things like dark roast, where if you've ever cupped a dark roast coffee in the bowl, it's just mud. I mean, there's nothing to evaluate. It's very hard in that medium to do that. And so for me, production-wise, I always went to brewing as a, as a way of evaluating. A, that's how my customers experienced the product. And B, I could test that product in a number of ways right there on the fly. I mean, with if I, if I brewed in French presses or if I brewed you know using pour-overs, I can take some of that liquid and add cream and sugar to it. I could add just cream. I could taste it black and say, okay, in these formats, you know, this is what works. This is what doesn't. And it allowed me to recommend also, this is a great coffee with, say, cream and sugar. Or this is a coffee if you are a cream and sugar person and you want to try it without, give it a whirl on this coffee. But you won't know that unless you play with that coffee. So I have always been a fan of production brewing, not necessarily production cupping. Well, Mark, I uh, I am running dry over here. My can is empty. I don't know how you're doing on your wine, but um, but I think we're uh, we're coming into a close here. I mean, any any final yes. remarks for uh, for our listeners uh, tonight on on QA QC program setup? Well, any questions that you have, or if you want further elaboration, that you email us at the exchange at olamnet.com. That's O L A M N E T dot com. And we'd be happy to elaborate on anything that we uh, overlooked tonight. But no, for the most part, I think we've we've covered it. Yeah, no, and that's on air as well as by email. We'll be happy to respond with specific questions off air if there's anything we can help directly with. Uh, the exchange at olamnet.com. We'll look forward to hearing from you. Uh, but Mark, it was awesome to join you. I really appreciate uh, getting a chat through this as always. Yeah, our first night show, and I think it went well. Yeah. We both stayed relatively sober, so we didn't make fools of ourselves. I appreciate that. We'll see what uh, what Mike does, <laughs> we'll see. what ends up on, on the, the cutting edit. room floor, and uh, and we'll go from there. But thank you, everyone, for tuning in to The Exchange. 
uh, by Olam Specialty Coffee. Mark, I hope you have a wonderful night. I look forward to doing you it You too, again. Todd. Yes, you've been listening to The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee, a podcast that is reminiscent of my father's yellow 1976 Ford Pinto Stallion with cloth seats in the month of June. The Exchange is hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey and directed by Mike Ferguson. In honor of the official end of summer in just a few days, our opening theme was Coffee on Ice by Sirius Fun, and our closing theme, Summer Coffee by Theo Arnesound. All music is used under Creative Commons. Remember, you can email Mark and Todd for any reason except to borrow money at theexchange at olamnet.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee.